Welcome to the Pitch It To Me podcast, which go about the subjective past, present, and potential future of flesh and blood design. Today's episode will be all about me, Justin Lewag, founder of Arcane Games and Events. Once we figure out how to sue League of Legends for the rights to our name, we'll just be called Arcane. On Red Pitch, we'll hear more about Arcane Games and Events. On Yellow Pitch, we'll take you through my journey as a flesh and blood player. And on Blue Pitch, we'll talk about the player pipeline and how you as a player can develop your game. You can find us across all socials, such as TikTok and Instagram, and Pitch It To Me Podcasts. I'm Clark. I'm Justin. I'm Fuzzy. And I'm Joel. So we have a special guest on the pod today. I'm pleased to introduce Justin Liwag. Hey! Woo! Let's go! <laughs> welcome, um, welcome to the podcast. One of my fondest memories of Justin, who, by the way, runs a independent tournament company called Arcane Games and Events. I've heard of them. I remember one time I was sitting at a pre-release and I had just been invited to the Arcane Games and Events Invitational. We'll talk a little bit about that later. But basically, I was sitting there thinking, man, I'm really going to need copies of Down and Dirty because it's an important card. It's hard to find right now because it's expensive. I own zero copies. I think I had like one. And I'm like, where am I going to find my next two copies? There's going to be dromais running around all over the place at this event. I need my Down and Dirties to succeed. And I'm just kind of like casually mentioning this problem to Justin. And he goes, oh, I got you. And he just pulls out his binder and hands me a Down and Dirty. And I'm like, can I give you some money for this? And he's like, nope. <laughs> what? I know. Justin. I haven't really gotten a single guy. card from Justin. <laughs> and I've known him like three times as long. <laughs> so that's just kind of the guy that we're talking about here. Justin is a great dude. There's an implicit contract that if you did win AGE, then I would get part of the earnings back. Because you did use my card. So <laughs> I hedge my bets. That fuzzy just left know? that out. <laughs> so I'm really happy to have him on the podcast. Um, Justin, what would you say is your proudest achievement in Flesh and Blood? Yeah, I think it would be crowning the Players' Championship for 2023, which was your previous guest, Anthony Pham. Um, because it, it meant more than just the prize and the, the title. Because I think for Anthony, it was just, he's such a pillar of the Southern California community and such a great player and mm-hmm. such a, you know example of what it means to be a positive member in the community. Mm-hmm. And I think it was just kind of, you know, his, not his reward, but like an achievement to not only have mm-hmm. this player's championship, but just kind of have all of this year wrapped up and kind of have a nice bow tied on top of it with Anthony taking it down. You know, it's an amazing, amazing player and, you know, famed Riptide player. And, you know, <laughs> I think just having that as like my achievement, impressive achievement of Flesh and Blood, I think it's just the coolest part for me. Yeah, Anthony's Mm -hmm. such a stand-up guy. I think, like, everyone was pretty happy to see him win at the top. Everybody can be, like, happy with seeing Anthony win. Mm -hmm. That's part of why, like, I was so excited to have him on the show previously. He's one of the only other guests that we brought on so far because he's such a great guy. He loves talking about the game. He's in love with the game. He loves the community. So um, Mm -hmm. definitely a great day. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then immediately after he won, he threw a pizza party at the store that he works at. And I'm like, Hell that's right. Yeah. Just, you know, 
bought a whole bunch of pizzas for everybody and just said, come on through for, you know, celebrating an AG win and money. That's yeah. That's what you want in a person who's, you know, winning a tournament. That's who you want to call champion. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So little bit of business, business, business. Uh, we want to let you all know if things sound a little bit different, that's because we're trying a new recording setup. So Justin does not live within a 30 minute drive of Fuzzy's garage. And that means we need to do recording different. So Justin is joining us. Uh, where do you live, Justin? I actually don't know where you live. (laughs) I'm in Pasadena, California. No, no, your, your address. Sorry. (laughs) (laughs) Zip code. Last four of your social. Yeah, just throw your whole social security number <laughs> yeah, in there. Yeah, 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 if you want to put my socials in the description in my <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm kind of mad that you didn't ask me earlier. Um, <laughs> but we'll make that happen, I guess. Justin is joining us from Pasadena through Zoom. Through the power of the internet. And so, while recording, there may be one or two hiccups. We may need to use audio from the zoom rather than audio from our mics or vice versa or whatever the case. So if things sound a little off, just chalk it up to this is our first time ever doing this recording setup and we're working out the kinks. Yeah. Um, fuzzy may have forgotten to press record on one of our two. No, don't say that. (laughs) No, it's good. We get the culprit out early. It's my (laughs) fault. Uh, but if it sounds weird, it'll get better halfway through the episode, I swear, when yeah. Fuzzy remembered to press record. <laughs> so, Justin, where can we find more information about AGE or Arcane Games events for people who are maybe in SoCal and don't know about it, or people who are not in SoCal and don't know about it? Yeah, so you can find uh, information about the circuit on our website, AGE.events. And then you can go to our Discord which is discord.age.events, which will give you the link to our server. And you can catch us on YouTube at Arkham Games and Events, where we live stream all of our, our tournaments, we cut our matches, and you know you can just watch some of the best players in the world duke it out you know, every month. And don't worry, listeners, we'll put all those links in the doobly-doo. Next to my social. Yeah. Yes, next, <laughs> next to Justin's social security number. Now everyone can see what it feels like to be Justin. Yeah, it's not glamorous. It's just okay. (laughs) Um, If you're new to the show, um, the way that the episode is going to work is we're going to go through three different what we call pitches, red pitch, yellow pitch, blue pitch, where we go into more detail on specific topics. After that, we're going to wrap up with our arsenal zone where we each shout out a card that we have been thinking about lately. How about we get started on our red pitch? We want to hear a little bit more about Arcane Games and Events. Um, could you talk us through a little bit more about the history of how you started it and maybe who was involved? Um, I feel like as somebody who's been going to these tournaments, um, AGE has been such a like big presence in SoCal and it's been really fun to go to these events, but I don't actually know a whole lot about its background. Could you tell mm-hmm. us more about that? Yeah, I kind of had humble beginnings, you know, as is anything. And it started really with, um, when I first started playing the game, uh, Nationals was just happening. I forget which year it was, two years ago maybe. And I thought it would be interesting and fun to throw a tournament for people who aren't qualified for Nationals. And just kind of have like a nice celebrational tournament, you know, just like players in the area, we can hang out, watch games, you know, play. Um, 
I just kind of enjoyed the card game for the weekend. And it started as what we called the So Calling series. And it was originally me and Evan Bridges who kind of kind of pioneered that. Evan got it started at Odyssey Games and I started playing at Odyssey Games and you know fell in love with the card game, but you know, was looking for more avenues to play. And so we started the SoCon series and it, you know, it did really well. Like we had like I think 40 people or something like that, even when Nationals was going on. And just wanted to wow. keep it going. You know, just like, okay, let's this is kind of fun. Let's see how it goes. And then we started doing the SoCon two. And that's when I picked up streaming because I didn't go into this knowing a bunch about streaming and broadcasting. And so there's a picture of me out there somewhere. Of, there's just a webcam above a table with me and a laptop, you know, live streaming it to my own YouTube channel. And that's kind of where I got interested in that. And then, you know, the, the tournaments were really fun. You know, like I enjoyed running them because we got to kind of see people come out and, you know, enjoy the weekend and, you know, see each other and just play games. At that point, we reached out to LSS to see if we can get extra pricing and, you know, just some maybe some support of like an extra armory kit. Once we started putting these feelers out and we ran another one, they approached us and said, hey, we want to meet with you guys. You know, schedule a meeting date with us. And we met and they said, do you want to run the first battle hard in Los Angeles? That had to have been insane, right? Yeah, I remember that call very clearly because it was me and Evan. Like Evan came over to my place and we got on the meeting and we were talking and they're like, do you want to run in? And we're like, absolutely. It sounds amazing. Like, you know, just let us know. And as soon as we hung up, I looked at him and I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. Like, what, this is crazy. <laughs> like, and I, I remember like, we just like, okay, we need a convention center. We need space. We need like ticketing. We need all this stuff. And that was the birth of Arcane Games and Events because that's when I made a company to kind of host all this stuff. Wow. You know, to make manage like finances and, you know, just kind of get insurance stuff, you know, the typical stuff that goes with running an event. I, I didn't think too much of it. You know, it's like, okay, we'll run a battle hard and see what happens. And, you know, we ran it and it was really fun. We had some memorable, memorable stories. A fire alarm was pulled during one of the rounds. Oh, I remember that actually. Yeah. And the, the room was dark and too big and, you know, just general growing pains, but turned out to be a great event. That's still so impressive that you guys were able to be so grassroots to be given mm -hmm. the opportunity to do something big and very formal from the people that own and run the game and then to take it, run with it and really establish yourselves, mm -hmm. really level up. Yeah, it was really a trial by fire. <laughs> you know, just it's crazy in retrospect to, you know, reach out to us and have us do it and just say, do you want to run a battle heart? Yeah, I remember the very first one because I think I had just started playing around the first time the soul calling was happening. I still have the attack action podcast mat to memorialize mm -hmm. it for myself, I guess. But seeing it go from the soul calling one through three to the battle harden and none of the AGEs, the level it grew in professionalism and organization has been amazing to watch. Thank you. Yeah, it's just been a process, you know, over a long period of time where after the battle hardened we didn't really know what to do next like it was just like okay we we did it we ran a battle hardened and i eventually thought about after that i talked to evan about this was like one of the, the things i've always wanted to do was create a circuit mm -hmm. and that was always on my mind when we started running tournaments it's like i think it'd be cool to do like a store circuit you know where it's like you can get people to play weekly and get points and you know maybe go to a championship for the store and i kind of took that idea and ran with it because i'm like i have this company now that we can you know, go through stuff with and it kind of just right from there where it's like I didn't really know how it was going to take off or if it would or if people were going to show up or 
you know, what all these safer things were and just decided to commit, you know, like, all right, here's our price. Well, 10 K for the first year, go mm-hmm. up, you know, it's once a month. It's crazy how, as a player, the idea of a local tournament scene where I can get points really motivated me to show up to these events because i'm like look i'm not that good i can't like claim to show up and get cash money all the time what am i i'm not a cash money player but like little points that i can rack up over time was very appealing to me fuzzy loves his little internet points and then you qualify for the players championship yeah yeah i got enough of those little points (laughs) so i got so many of those points because i showed up to all the little events and i got like 12th through 16th, which is where you need to be in order to just get a little bit of points. And then I got to qualify for a tournament, even though I made like maybe $50 in like one top eight along the way. It was something really enticing to me and made inspired me to get into competitive flesh and blood, really. So I'm so happy you mentioned that idea of like running a tournament circuit being really appealing. Because if I was going to run tournaments, that's 100% how I would want to do it. I would love to love a se- run a series where you can like try to do well over the course of a series of tournaments. That just sounds uh, really fun to me. Yeah, and the side benefit that I think wasn't upfront apparently to a lot of the players was we wanted to focus on building player brands and mm-hmm. like doing player profiles. And you get to know these players as you broadcast them and build up personalities. Like, you know, Craig, the Scourge of Pasadena and, you know, Anthony Pham and, yep. you know, the Vore brothers coming down from Arizona. And I think when you play in a circuit, you gotta you get attached to these players. You know, what are they playing this month? And I always thought of card games are like sports. In sports, audiences root for players and buy their jerseys. Players in card games root for players and look at their deck list. That's effectively the jersey of like card games is what are they playing and what are they, you know, how can I be part of whatever they're, you know, thinking or whatever their, you know, here identity is. Especially in flesh and blood especially in flesh and blood and like the circuit lends to itself so much easy, like so much to that because you get to grow with these players. You know, like we saw a lot of that this year on the circuit where, you know, we'll talk about this a little bit later of, you know, a player starting from the beginning of the year to the end of the year is a different player. Fuzzy certainly changed over the course of the year. I remember when Fuzzy was like, Clark, I've always thought about being a competitive card game player and now I'm finally going to do it. I'm finally going to become that guy. And now at the end of the year, I'm like, Fuzzy, how do I get into competitive flesh and blood? And even then, like, I get to feel like a star in a sense at AGE because I was able to qualify for the Invitational. Um, Mm -hmm. But then I still go to, like, Nationals. I'm like, oh, there's a lot of room to grow. And AGE being there as a stepping stone, I feel like is a really big boon to SoCal players. I definitely feel lucky to have this as a resource as a player in SoCal. So why is it that we love the AGE so much? Like, what is it about having the independent third-party event that is so enticing to us as SoCal players? Justin kind of hit it on the head uh, with the pro- player profile, because uh, I've never been able to engage, like, with sports on a deep level. Like, I've never cared about people performing other than, like, Kobe Bryant, because he's, like, the king of L- L.A., basically. But being able to know all these players that play on AGE events and watching them grow as players and what they play and what you just said, Clark, uh, watching Fuzzy play competitive flesh and blood, it naturally gets other people interested in competitive flesh and blood. It's this domino effect. I feel like we keep mentioning me as a competitive player. I just need to make sure that everyone knows (laughs) I'm not that competitive of a player. I've been enjoying dipping my toes in what I can, but 
I I'm not that good. Don't put my name anywhere on any high up on any tier list or anything. You're right, Fuzzy. Joel's the one that made top 100 in the nation. That's true. You're goddamn right. <laughs> <laughs> Justin, I'm really curious. As somebody who like has had pipe dreams of doing similar things of running my own tournaments. Um, I was wondering if you developed a deeper appreciation for the game or for the community through being a tournament organizer. And what are some of like the lessons learned along the way? Yeah, I, I came from the player side. So it's been an interesting experience of like, you know, I've sat where all the players are sitting. I've driven at tournaments like that and I've competed, you know, at different levels. And I think it's interesting from the TO side because you do learn a lot. And I think the biggest thing that I've always focused on with our tournaments is having a culture. And, you know, it, it feels weird to say, but I think when people come to AGEs and you walk through a door and you sit down for the first round, you know immediately what it is. You could feel it in the room of like, everyone's really friendly. They're here to win. They're playing and they're enjoying the time there. Mm -hmm. And I think you kind of have to, you know, let that trickle down from the people who run it. I would hope that when people go to our tournaments, they get a sense that this is for players by players. You know, the environment is competitive, but it's the spirit of competition. You said something so interesting there. You said friendly and want to win. For me, those two, you know, they're not mutually exclusive, but they've always kind of been at odds with each other. How have you been able to craft that friendly competitive atmosphere? Yeah, I think it's it's down to the players, and I I think they've done just a great job in SoCal. I think it speaks to the community and, you know, what we're so lucky to have here because, you know, when, you know, it's obviously sucks to lose and to play close games and get there, and, you know, there's all these different emotions that go into a game, and I think with the tournaments in uh, Southern California at large, they celebrate that. Mm -hmm. You know, they they talk to people after they lose and they crack jokes at winners and you know, they build their own storylines. And I think that's the real special part about, you know, our tournaments, I think is just that, that player camaraderie, even if you don't know the player, like you've never run across them. Like we're having people now come in from, you know, Arizona, Vegas, San Diego and NorCal and all over the place. And there's an immediate bond with players because they've seen the tournaments, you know, they've seen our casters, they've seen, the attitude from the outside and when they come in there it doesn't change you know it's i think an entertainment product because you know our streams broadcast that and then when people play in the tournament they feel comfortable you know it's like i'm here to learn i'm here to win everyone has their own thing that's the thing we discovered about it is like different players use the tournament for different things you know whether it's to get better or to practice or pro tour or to you know have fun with their friends for a weekend try a new deck or prove something to themselves and i think when you have all these different people meet, they can feel that from each other. Just we're all here for different purposes, but we're here to have fun and play games. You know, I think that's what I try to impart upon the players too. When I talk to them and we do our players meeting and, you know, interact with people in between rounds, it's, oh my God, you got a, what a tough loss. You know, you'll get there. It's like, I'm just asking people how they are, you know, where you're coming from. You know, we talk about other stuff and we talk about the game, obviously, but I think that's the part that I enjoy about the most is learning about these players too. And I think that, helps the players also learn and want to learn more about who they're playing against. So it kind of all wraps into that of like the culture and, you know, I think what makes our tournament special, you know, I'm obviously very, very biased, but <laughs> no, I think it's all true. That's what I've learned from doing this. 
So is there a reason why you've constructed the AGE? Because you've talked about the circuit system. What led you to the circuit system? I know you've talked a little bit about how you think it really promotes player-first narratives, but is there another reason why you've decided to do that? I know you said something a little bit earlier about going to different game stores. Is that another reason why you wanted to do a circuit? Yeah, I think we originally started with the intention to promote a lot of stores and kind of run the circuit around, but we quickly realized that it was just growing really big. Mm-hmm. And so we kind of had to pick a home, which uh, is right now Collector Legion. They've been super great. They've been our partner for a lot of our events for the last half of the year and you know the first half of this one. And the circuit model, I guess, going to explain it to the listeners is we do a tournament once a month. And last year we had seven and then a player's championship, and then the top 16 on points get qualified for the player's championship. And the reason why I think the circuit is important, the way it's structured the way it is right now is consistency. The most valuable thing is that it happens once a month, and it happens consecutively, and we don't miss months. When a player thinks about a schedule, they don't really have to think about, you know, is it this month or next month? It's like, it's this month, just when is it? It's going to happen this month, and you're just going to find out and like, get your ticket or, you know, have people tell you about it. And I think having that consistency and getting into a rhythm as a player base is super important because I think the hard thing is consistency. Any project, any goal, any Mm -hmm. endeavor you take on, it's tough to remain consistent. And it was like a stipulation that we put on ourselves because it was hard to kind of do the circuit because you have to work around LSS's schedule. You have to work around other card games. You have to work with the store. And you have to find these windows where it makes sense for players to play. But I think it was just that work is so much more valuable when we do it and then have the players just not have to think about it. And it provides that, yeah, that cadence, which I think is like we're in season. So now there's a rhythm that players can develop. And then when we're out of season, like at the end of last year, it's like, okay, now we can wait for the next season. And that's kind of like what I want players to think about. I'd also imagine that it helps a lot with momentum because say Mm -hmm. if you did two giant events throughout the year or like one every quarter, Mm -hmm. then you'd basically have to start from the bottom up every single time. You'd have to do your big marketing push or Mm -hmm. get the ideas out there. You're starting over every single time. With the circuit, it's a little bit better. You set it up once and then there's that energy carrying it throughout all the months. Yeah, and the momentum is a big part of it because if you think about it as a player, it's like, okay, the next one's in two months. You can just forget about it, right? You can just forget a tournament's happening and it's like, okay, I'll think about it there and with this one, it's like, oh my God, it's next month. And it's, you know, I got to get ready for it. And there's testing. And from our side, I always joke that, you know, as soon as we upload the deck list, it feels like the AG event happens the next day. Like it's just kind of blurring time together. Yeah. Um, but that's how the players feel too. And I think that's, you know, a good thing where it's like, okay, we got like this. When's the next month? When's the next month after that? When is, you know, when is these things happening? And it's, you know, it makes it easier on the players like to reduce that mental load on, thinking about things because it is hard enough to be a competitive flesh and blood player with the main circuit. You know, there's ProQuest season, Road to National, Skirmishes, there's Callings and Battleheart and Scattered. And, you know, there's a lot of stuff to think about. So if you make it easier on the player to say yes, it kind of becomes easier from there. Easier to get the players to say yes. Yeah, I always like that rush of excitement. Like, wait a minute, the next AGE is next weekend. Because, uh, you know, whenever, whenever they're a month apart, I forget all the time. Uh, and then I see a, the announcement or Fuzzy brings it up. I'm like, ah, oh, yeah. 
All right. I think that's it for red pitch. Thanks for sharing more about what AGE is and all that stuff. Uh, now for yellow pitch, I'd like to turn the focus onto you, Justin, and what your journey has been like even before AGE and the soul calling. Like, what really ignited your love for card games in general and communities? At, like, where did it all begin? Yeah, so my card game journey started in college um, when I started playing Magic the Gathering. I think a lot of people have the same beginning. And Yep. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> yeah, but college is a little bit later than I normally hear for people. For me, it was such an interesting beginning because I played Warhammer kind of all through middle school, all the way up until high school and college. So that was kind of like my itch for competitive stuff and doing that. And then I, I had some friends in high school who were into magic. And then I went to college and we started playing and I had some of the, probably the weirdest way to get into a magic, the gathering, which was, it was like a dojo that they brought me in. It was like, we're having no fun here. We're going to be competitive. <laughs> <laughs> and it was like, I want to build this deck. It looks really funny. Like it's a bad deck. You're going to you're going to play this. Wow. <laughs> and it was, because they were competitive grinders. They didn't really know how to like be normal players. Like, you know, <laughs> just kind of bridge that gap. They were like competitive, like since they were kids. And so they were like in the, the peak of their grind and, you know, going to a bunch of events and I'm coming in. I'm just like, you know, I want to have fun and play all these weird decks. But then I kind of caught that same bug as them, you know, and they'd let me cards and I kind of started from there. And, you know, I think it was a couple years before I started traveling to events, but then eventually I, I did and gotten you know, interested. I never made it to the Pro Tour, but I was always watching. You know, I traveled to any local GP, anything on the West Coast, I was pretty much there, like Portland, Denver, like all these places and traveled with people. I really had that itch and I loved, just loved playing competitively and traveling and just getting to know people, having weird experiences and going to different places, trying, you know, new food and restaurants. And a little after college, you know, the designs were kind of changing in the game where it wasn't resonating with me a lot. And then the pro tour kind of was sunsetted a little bit more. Like they started moving it away and not mm. focusing on on as much. And then, you know, I felt that shift and I was like, okay, I'm just playing less. I didn't really say I'm quitting. It's just, you know, I'm playing less. I'm doing more stuff, doing different things. I started following a lot of Star City games at the time as well, like the Star City games open. Mm. And they had that same thing of where they started moving their broadcast out and changing it and kind of moving away from, you know, the circuit. And that's when my interest started to die down in a lot of uh, magic because I wasn't following players anymore. I wasn't following decks and whatever tournament was happening. And then COVID happened, you know, when kind of everything shut down and, you know, magic had that, you know, push for arena. Yeah. And, yeah. you know, I was, you know, just kind of floating around playing Warhammer, doing stuff, you know, heard about the card game Flesh and Blood. <laughs> that's what I tell this to Tyler all the time. I watched the first Vegas Open, the call. Wow. And I saw Tyler win it. And I knew Tyler from Magic. And, you know, we've interacted a little bit. Like, we're kind of in the same circles. And I'm like, if he can win it, oh, my God, this game must be so easy. Like, <laughs> <laughs> And, yeah, I kind of started from there. And I got into Tails. What a time. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, you know, I, it was a good set. It was fun to get into and kind of dip my feet in and, and get going. And played casually, did the armoring thing, and then started growing. And then that's when the SoCon stuff started to come up and kind of tying it back to then of like, I want to run tournaments like what I used to participate in. And like Star City Games was a really big influence on the Arkham Games and Events mm -hmm. Open Series because it does model a lot of what they did before. As a Magic player, did you ever have like a feather in your cap? Like, did you ever have a big win during that time? No, I think for me, it was, I think the biggest achievement I had was like making a day two and 
of a Grand Prix, which was cool for me. It was, you know, something. Oh, hell yeah. Yeah, that's a little bit more than something. <laughs> and I think also where I built, like, you know, the the stamina to keep playing the card game for a long... Or play these, like, long days in the tournaments kind of built habits that kind of I took from a lot of players who were around me. But the competitive side was more fun than serious, you know, as a reason to participate and then kind of be involved. And I had people, had friends who went to Pro Tour and, you know, did well at callings and... That was always cool to see, but I always felt like I was just on the outside part of it by choice because I, I just enjoyed the, you know, the festivity of it, of just going to an event. And so when I came to Flesh and Blood, you know, they just came out of COVID and it was kind of like getting its feet wet with big events. And I noticed that there was that part lacking. You know, it's, it's hard to kind of start back up and get, kind of get these things going. So I took the initiative with so calling and doing these other tournaments and, you know, just enjoying the game for what it was at that time. And this is kind of making me think about how you're kind of solving all of the problems that Magic had as well. Like you mentioned that they just don't have the tournament support that they used to. And I'm wondering if what drove you to do it for Flesh and Blood rather than Magic the Gathering. Because they both could benefit from a tournament structure like this, right? Yeah, I think what it came down to is two things, which was the first was an accident. You know, it's, it wasn't like I came into Flesh and Blood and said, we need this here. The other thing was I just got super interested in all these players around me. You know, there's so many good players. Like I just happen to, you know, know Chris Ioli from way back in our magic days. And it's like, he's, you know, he's an okay guy. I guess he's okay player. I think he's won some armies or something, but (laughs) I think it was also the mission of uh, legend story studios to play in the flesh and blood, you know, and to maintain that, that goal. Cause magic was pushing a lot for magic arena and, you know, the different things which I've played and used and had fun times with, but you never get attached to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. So it sounds like the atmosphere around the play seems to matter more to you as a player, more so than like the play itself at the table. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and it's like the playing the games is the benefit, right? Like we get to do all this stuff outside the game and then the, we get to play this great game on top of it. You get to meet so many card players and new people and you know, you have a shared collective background with somebody that is a complete stranger to you. But you sit down and say one, you're like, we're both flesh and blood players and we have that as a background connection, you know, to, to who we are. Well, you see, that's so interesting because I almost don't hear that about the Magic community. Ever. Yeah, and I think with Magic, it, it still has a lot of that. Um, it's just different. And I think it, it does come down from what Wizards of the Coast objective is. Mm-hmm. You know, like the things that they focus on, which is why I'm really... In, you know, enamored with LSS and what they do for, you know, social play, not in the sense of like, you know, UPF, but making sure people go places, you know, they do things, they, they get out there. And I think that's the biggest focus for them is making sure these players talk to each other. And, you know, when I went to Barcelona, it's like, you know, I met a bunch of players that, you know, I saw at different events and had dinner with people I've never, you know, met before. And now when, you know, we go to PTLA, we're, we're going to hang out there. And that's like, play the game, see the world is, you know, they always say that and that came from Magic, but Magic really lost that for me and Flesh and Blood kind of picked up the banner for that. And, you know, I think it's challenging to run a game where you have that objective because there's easier ways to accomplish your goal as a company, right? To make more money, you make an online client, you know, you can print all these things and you can do all these different stuff to where it's easy, but it's really hard to make the tough decisions that are good for the player base because you don't see it for a while. 
And so that's why I got enamored with LSS and, you know, what they do. Like, there's always criticisms and different opinions you can have, and you can say yes or no to different things that you like or don't like. But that's why I'm sticking around and why I've started AGE was on that belief. Yeah, and I will say, I played uh, Magic the Gathering similar to everyone here, and what kept me to flesh and blood was, you know, one of the perks I always say is meeting all these top-level players. When I found out Chris Ayali was second in the world, and seeing him at the AGE blew my mind. Like, I, I don't know if, of any other sport or esport where you can meet the best players in the world on a consistent basis. Like, driving the Nats, I met even more people mm-hmm. where I was like, that's a famous person right there. That's one of like the best XYZ hero players in the world. And that experience was just an added benefit for the grinding that I did to try to get to mm-hmm. the Nats qualification. Yeah. Flesh and Blood still has that homegrown kind of smallish feel where everyone's still very much within reach. I think Magic has gotten to this point where it's big enough that the megastars are out of reach. Like if you just get into the game, you can't like mm-hmm. DM the professor like, hey, are you going to the armory this week? But in Flesh and Blood, we kind of can do that. Like, we can message the guys at Three Floating and be like, hey, I'm going to be at Odyssey this Friday. It'll be great to see you. I'm not going to do that because of the social anxiety, but I could. Yeah, and that that goes back to, like, what I love about card games in general, not even just Flesh and Blood. It's just that relationship we build with people is, you know, unique to card games. You know, I tell people all the time, you should play card games. Come to the store and, you know, even if they're not card game players and it's like i ask a lot of people oh, what are you doing and i'm like oh nothing you know just hanging around and you know I, I think it's a lot of you know a lot of experience with people i you know have it too like before card games it was just like oh you know just hang out maybe this person or just chill at home but it's like no i get to go to an armory today or i get to go to friday night magic and like hang out with people yeah. and you know stay up way too late and eat too much junk food at the end you know like <laughs> fuzzy dragging us all to canes <laughs> oh yeah <laughs> You have to go for yeah, junk food. It doesn't count if you don't. <laughs> you know, the late night Denny's where you're still playing on greasy mm-hmm. tables, you know? Oh, oh no, yeah. no more Denny's. That's, that's no the more Denny's. So, yeah, that was, that's been my journey into like card games and flesh and blood yeah. where, you know, coming yeah. from a competitive background and trying to replicate that in flesh and blood because I think it, there's that hole. So when you're going to armories now, um, or even other competitive events, what heroes do you typically play? I play Illusionist. So I started off with Prism because I'm like, Tyler can do it. I mean, come on. <laughs> I'm feeling very conflicted. We have a uh, notorious illusionist hater on the show. <laughs> oh, just enough. Yeah, you know, we talked about it. You know. We've come over our differences. Um, but yeah. I played probably Prism at one of the worst times ever to play Prism, which was during um, Redline Briar which was like, mm-hmm. I just didn't win a game for like three months, <laughs> it felt like. But then I, I switched to Dromai. It feels like such an interesting hero where it's flexible, you can build it in different ways. I just like the cards, you know, like the marbles were so cool to me. Yeah. I think just the play style kind of resonated with me. I'm going to be switching off of Dromai. I've already made that pact with myself. Wow. Uh, Why? I, I need to learn how to play the game. <laughs> <laughs> Is what I've told myself because it's like playing illusionist is not really like you're not playing math flesh and blood and I have never played math flesh and blood because it's like I'm gonna attack this dragon and you popped it I have no idea what points I lost or gained or oh my God. how much value is gained <laughs> and so I don't I kind of want to get back to you know good old fashioned flesh and blood yeah 
Heavy hitters I'm looking at the like time. Victor and Kasai. Yeah. Like my next heroes. Let's go. I knew I liked him for a reason. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm reformed illusionist now. Yeah. Well, I do like that um, you say that you're an illusionist player and not like a specific hero player. I've no, I've been hearing a lot mm-hmm. about people being specific hero mains, and I kind of like the idea, mm-hmm. especially as Flesh and Blood grows and like more heroes living legend out there's less of a pressure to reprint them i'd really like to see more people become mains of classes rather than heroes mm-hmm. yeah it kind of sucked to see them reprint prism i like the new prism and i think they did some great things with it but i think it was very frustrating for people to just see prism printed again right mm-hmm. yeah and i think you know there's more identity just outside of a hero. You know, it can live in a class type. Mm-hmm. It can live in a card choice. Because, yeah, like in Magic, I played a lot, a lot of control. A lot of blue, mm-hmm. you know, counter spells and like draw cards and playing instant speed. You know, Dromai's a lot more different than that, but that's what got me into Prism was, you know, you could play on other people's turns and do stuff. Like, Arclight Sentinel is effectively like a counter spell. Yeah. You know, mm-hmm. and that's what you mean to that. And then Dromai came out, and I was like, that seems interesting. And it was, again, like playing magic. You know, it's you're playing creatures on an old board <laughs> and you're swinging them. But yeah, so it's, it's kind of what I've been into lately and playing a bunch. It's very weird. The Odyssey Games meta is just Arachnes and Dromais killing each other. I don't know why. <laughs> There's like, I went last Tuesday and it was th- <laughs> three individual games of Arachne versus Dromai. All the Arachnes were obviously very sad. Um, okay. <laughs> but it was crazy. It's like you you would you would think one of them would have figured out the matchup by now. <laughs> they're brewing. Or they just they're, <laughs> they're brewing. Just they're cooking. This, you know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Do you prefer aggro games that end in fifteen minutes, or like those slugfest mid rangey controls that go to time? What do you prefer on the broadcast? I like dramatic games. Hmm. Mm. And the secret third that can happen for both archetypes where you can die in five minutes, but it's fascinating (laughs) because it's crazy that it happened. Yeah. Or you play a long drawn out game, you know, and it's like down to the last point. See, you should have put, uh, at the last AGE, me and Alejandro played a Leviathan when we were like two, two, we were saying like, man, this is what they got to put on the featured matchup. It's just going to be who high rolls better, who rolls scabbies better. There's going to be so much drama. And then there was. I broke my gambler's glove to re-roll his six into another, or it was a four. But like he re-rolled it into a four and still had this crazy turn. And I was like, oh no, I lost my gamblers. <laughs> yeah. And it's like, those are the games like, you know, we obviously can't predict them, but the ones we aim for. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, knowing the players and the heroes. So, you know, most unsatisfying answer is, you know, I don't know. It's kind of nuanced, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that, that was great. No, it is. It is a good answer, especially because every single round, it randomly pairs, right? Mm-hmm. I think they still yeah. pick who goes on stream, though. Yeah. yeah, but like you still have to randomly pair and then look through that very quickly. Oh, know yeah. the players, know the lists, know the stakes for the current tournament. And then try to find the match that you think will have the best broadcast. Like, mm-hmm. that must be crazy to have to do. Mm. Yeah, and it's a testament to, like, our commentators. Because we, we let them take a lot of agency over who, you know, obviously gets uh, cast and who they commentate over. And it's, 
it's tough to do that when you don't know the people. Yeah, and yeah. You're not playing every week, and you're not like present. Like I can't imagine how tough it is at a calling, right? Where you have hundreds of people that you have to pick from. Yeah. Um, so we have the benefit of kind of having a smaller pool, but you know, we try to also focus on getting new people on stream and building new stories instead of just enfranchised players. Right, right. And I think that's a grand transition into our blue pitch where we're going to start talking about how do we develop as a player? And I wanted to start off by talking a little bit about the moment of showing up on stream can be really, really big for a new player. Oh, yeah. It can really help them feel like they're stepping up into that level. And a lot of the times, I mean, like Fuzzy definitely... I think you started taking it a little bit more seriously the moment that you showed up on stream. Uh, sure. It definitely was a big moment for me. I remember, like, trying to make it organic, too. I felt like if I had gone to any of the AGE organizers and been like, can you please pretty please put me on stream? <laughs> I feel like I didn't want that to have any sway, right? Yeah. I wanted to get on stream from my own merit. <laughs> mm. And then, like, I top aided at uh, AGE, and that felt like at the AGE championship, and that felt like I had enough merit. I actually did talk to them. I brought it up. <laughs> I'm like, oh, I wonder if they'll put me on stream. I've never been on stream before. And they were like, we can make that happen. And then I had like a few minutes to decide to kind of like <laughs> anticipate. <laughs> and that was really exciting. And I also happened to win my first on stream match, which was also like maybe the first time I ever won a game after top eight cutoff. So it, was, it mm -hmm. felt very momentous for me. Slay. So I would definitely see like being able to highlight players through streaming is a definitely <laughs> a way to foster that growth in players and make them excited to play more. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I, I think one of the things that I read lately was, I can send this to you guys, it's a link, is uh, Cedric Phillips. Yeah. From SCG. He posted a thread on Twitter about people are wondering why SCG attendance is going down, you know, for some of their larger tournaments, like 20Ks, getting 200 mm. people. Oh, wow. Which is kind of a, a bigger decline than what they were used to when they were in their open series days. And mm. he posted a lot about what makes players come to a tournament. The big thing was letting players see the prestige of a tournament and being able to participate in it at some point and work towards it. And it's, you know, the prestige of AG is, you know, it's all like, you know, we're, you know, big deals and everything. And, you know, but I think it's giving the player an outlet for that. And when I think about a player and like developing them, they have different goals. But I think a lot of them do want to get the stream game. They want a player profile. They want to do well. They want to celebrate their effort in the game. I think AGE sits in that really nice spot between like Armory's ProQuest, RTNs, and then a calling. Mm -hmm. or like kind of in that middle gap where a player can build confidence because it is intimidating and also a huge huge investment to go to a bigger event like a calling that's not near you for sure a lot of people can't justify it on faith there needs to be some like not training wheels but confidence builders and players because players are really good but sometimes they don't know it themselves right like they need a way to prove it to themselves and i think you know that's how i see age is that in-between part where I've talked to a lot of players this year and it was so cool to see players, you know, I didn't think I could compete or hang and I'm doing really, really well at these tournaments and I'm, you know, doing better than I expected. 
playing different decks and playing against the best players in the world and I can like hang with them and like learn from them. And that's kind of that journey that we want players to undertake where it's, you know, the beginner player who just comes from an armory to the professional players who are practicing for something all meshing together. Yeah. Finding those players and nurturing them and, you know, pushing them forward and giving them a platform. Um, even if it's not now, but just eventually and like, I think is what motivates them to keep playing and enjoy the game and get better and want to learn more and, you know, participate in what is, I think, the most rewarding part about, you know, this hobby. Yeah, I really want to talk on that because I had my first AGE experience in January. That was the first AGE I had ever gone to. Oh, wow. Yeah. And so I had done US Nats before this going to the calling, playing in the calling there, playing Mm -hmm. in a lot of the side events there. I've also done a lot of armories and... As we've talked about a couple times today, there's some killers at these armories. Mm-hmm. So I feel like I have played against good players, but like the matchup that I consider the most like feather in my cap happened at the AGE. I beat someone who was really, really good, and I felt like I expressed a lot of skill to do that in a tournament setting. And that felt a lot better than like a win I would get at a weekly armory, but it also felt so much more approachable and doable at the AGE than say like at the calling, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. the calling. There's so many players that like the moment that you lose one round, it's like, yeah, you're probably not making it day two. Mm. And then you're just playing for fun and you're running into the, you know, that Dorinthia and you're in the, you're in the three, five area. And you're like, "Ah, I guess I'll drop. But the AGE feels so cool because it is in that great little middle ground between armory and calling. Yeah. And it's, I hear that a lot from a lot of players. It's like, I didn't, it's not that I top eight today. It's I had this match yeah. yeah, that I will remember. And it's, that's what I think is really interesting. I obviously, you know, honestly didn't expect it. I'm just like people coming to me and like, Oh my God, that match I played was so tight. And like, even if they had lost, like some of the players, like, my favorite match I played today is the one I lost mm. because it was like, I learned a lot. I learned about my hero. I didn't know these things were possible or, you know, I had a game plan and it just didn't quite get there, but it was like, you know, they're all taking different things away from it. But that was the most interesting thing to me is that these matches are what are being taken away. Not the tournament as a whole. Sometimes like, obviously if you win, it's great. You know, mm-hmm. with like Alan Wong, who, uh, one, the first one is an amazing Bravo player. And like, mm. you know, it's a master class and kind of watching a Bravo kind of go through mm-hmm. a tournament. I was not on stream too. Like we didn't see him really till top eight and I got to watch his games and it's, you know, he played against one of our new players uh, in top eight that we didn't stream. He's only been playing Bravo for two months, maybe a month. And he was hanging with him and, you know, they talked after and he just got some tips and, you know, how did I play? You know, maybe what could I have done better? And that's, that's like a hundred armories put together for players, yeah. yeah. you know, in terms of value and experience and just enjoyment. Yeah. And Alan's so nice too. Like you wouldn't even imagine that he placed what, like ninth or 10th at Nats, like top 10 mm-hmm. in, the, in the, in the U S like he's just a monster. Mm-hmm. Nicest guy you can meet. Yeah. Lubers rise up. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah. And it, you know, I think one of the things we talked about before is um, encouraging play to learn not to win in our Mm. tournaments and everyone brings a hundred percent when they come to AGE. Like that's 
you know, we're not, you know, mistake that part. Like everyone's trying to win, mm-hmm. but I, I would hope that a lot of players are coming to, to gain something that's not just a win from the Absolutely. tournament, you know, part that up on players and talk to them during the rounds and see how everyone's doing. It's not, how did you do it? It's, you know, how's your games going today? Like, you know, that's what I, you know, try to ask players a lot of just not the last round, but the tournament mm-hmm. and see it as a whole. I try, I'm trying to take that to heart as well because I have a hard time handling a loss, especially if it's really close or if I make like one misplay, like it'll ruin my whole day. And it's something that I've been trying to overcome, like as I get more and more into the competitive fab scene. And AGE Mm -hmm. is a really good way for me to not only play the heroes that I like, test the new uh, decks that I'm trying out, but just get an experience that I can't really get at an armory. And trying to absorb mm-hmm. as, as much of the matchup as, as possible so that uh, when it's time to actually perform at these higher level tournaments that I'm not making the same mistakes or not protecting my mental state as much. Yeah, and I think what's so interesting too is when rounds end, people are obviously watching games, is people walk up to their friends or maybe even just people you know, that they may have seen once or twice and be like, oh, I think you should have done this here and this here and like recreate you know, give some feedback on the board state, not like in a, you know, mean way or, you know, chiding the person away. It's like they, everyone wants to have everyone get better. Mm-hmm. And it's like, I think you should have done this. And I think that might have been a better play. And like, oh, the player's like, okay, maybe I'll do that next time and talk about that. Mm-hmm. And I see that happen all the time. It doesn't happen, obviously, at a colleague because, you know, right. they're so big that you just kind of walk away from the table and then you figure it out on your own. And then at a pro quest, it's like, you know, it's a different vibe at a pro quest because there's one spot, right? You're trying mm-hmm. to all get that one spot. Mm-hmm. And they're trying to hold as much as they can until the end, right? Because it's, you know, smart, right, to kind of hold information back because you don't want to give someone that edge. Right. At AGEs, it's still very, very competitive and very tough tournaments. Like, I don't want people to kind of, like, walk away. It's like, you know, we're all, you know, hanging out and just playing games. It's like some of the best players in the world play at these things. Right. Mm-hmm and teach people and they learn and you get to learn about yourself as a player and you know there's that balance that we can walk of playing to learn not to win and i feel like you've done a good job of setting up the circuit to provide attainable goals too like just being in top 16 gives you some amount of points that you can hopefully use to convert into an invite to the invitational so that's a lot of leeway whereas if i go to an rtn or a ProQuest. I really only care about top eight and then top four, or in the case of pro quests, like Mm -hmm. literally first place, there might be some cool pricing for top eight, but when you only really walk away really happy in top eight, it makes it a lot harder to walk away really Mm -hmm. pleased with how you performed and looking forward to the next one. It's a much harder to reach goal and top 16 at AGE feels a lot more attainable. Might not be able to beat Tyler Horsepool, Chris Ayali. Like, you know who's going to be in top eight, but you don't really know who's going to be in top 16. And if I play a little bit better, if I take what I've learned from this event, hopefully I can top 16, top 12 the next one. Maybe even top eight someday. But I think Mm -hmm. the higher tiers of rewards really um, facilitates those approachable goals and motivations to do better. Yeah, I definitely feel that way as a new player, too. Like, I went 4-2 in January, and I felt really, really good, but I didn't get top 16. I just missed out on top 16. And I saw you and Talon in there, and I was like, no, I I can beat Fuzzy and Talon. Right? (laughs) I can get there. Yeah, and, you know, going back to the circuit thing, it's like, all right, next month. 
let's do it again, you know, and let's get those points. And, you know, the Players' Championship, I think, is something that I think is really special. Yeah. Because, you know, it's like the culmination of a journey for a player. Yeah. Right? I think, you know, a lot of the people who made it to the championship are excellent, excellent players. They're all really, really great. Like, you don't accidentally make it to the Players' Championship. It takes work and time and effort. And I think celebrating that from AGE side of like, you know, getting the shirts and feeding the players and, you know, just having it be like a different experience and, mm -hmm. you know, with the unique format and everything. And I'm like, when I walked around the players championship, it was just a, such a interesting environment because everyone's really competitive and they're playing for a lot of money. And, but it was so casual, Yeah, you know, where everyone's hanging out, chit chatting, getting food, talking in between rounds you know, everyone knows each other's deck lists and they're just, you know, hanging out for the day, enjoying the, what the year meant to them. Definitely. And I thought that's, you know, the the end of a player's journey and the beginning for a lot of people, right? Watching the player's championship from the outside and being like, I'm going to get there. You know, is what I'm hoping that we can kind of convey is, you know, it, it is a special thing. And Anthony winning is just like a testament to, you know, the community, the the circuit and you know, the players on it. Yeah. Well, I mean, you've definitely succeeded with me at least because I am someone who, you know, I've been playing league of legends for over a decade now <laughs> and I've never really cared about my rank or playing ranked. Mm -hmm. And that's been a consistent trend for me throughout a lot of my hobbies. I care about mm -hmm. winning, but I don't really care about like having the rank or like really, really competing. It's always kind of, graded on me the wrong way but with flesh and blood mm -hmm. and age i did not feel that way at all i wanted to go i wanted to win and i want to compete yeah oddly enough one of the things that i struggled with a lot with um one particular thing was the standings because we have our you know public standings that we update every tournament mm -hmm. and the one thing that i was conflicted with when we started doing it was including win percentage mm -hmm. as a public stat because um, I didn't, I didn't know if I wanted that to be, um, you know, to have a player reflected in one number. Yeah. Sure. You know, to kind of have your value as a player, in, in, you know, put into that number. But I think I ended up putting it on because I thought it was a sense of not an end goal, but at a point of improvement for players. Mm. You know, just like I can see this number and it's, you know, we don't focus on it really for anything. It doesn't matter for tiebreakers or anything like that for, for us. We don't use it that way. I think it showed just the success of a player or growth of a player over a season because we do track um, individual wins throughout the tournament too. Um, and then post that so you can kind of see your your record as a player throughout series. That's and cool. I think having that for players just to be like, a way to pat themselves on their back. Like, you know, with our, our number one points leader going into this season was Zach Wallach. And he had an insane record throughout Absolutely the entire series. crazy. Zach Wallach, I felt like, was the guy to beat. He was the number one in the standing. So scary. Yep. Yeah. And what he had have, like... 102 points or something like that. Yes. A 74% win percentage, top eight at three events or something like that. And it was just like, you know, an amazing testament to him on Dromai. You know, and you can look back that, at that and it's kind of forever enshrined in the, the 2023 season. Mm -hmm. And you can never take that away from a player. Yeah. Right. Of just like that achievement, like even though he didn't win and he obviously wanted to win, but it was like 
just seeing that end of the year result is so meaningful, I think, for players. And of course, they hang it over each other's heads and, you know, say I'm better than you. So that's a side <laughs> benefit, I guess, you know. Um, but yeah, so like that journey that the player takes from the beginning of the season to the end is just like, there's so many different ways that players approach it. And, you know, take away from the series, like some people don't even care about how many games they win. They just want to go and hang out for a weekend, which is awesome. You know, for like, sure. I'm just going to play games with people this weekend. Whatever happens, happens. Is there a piece of advice or some like some skill you'd say that players could try and master to maybe elevate their gameplay over time? Because you can go to AGE events and like try to win as best you can, but if there's not certain things you're focusing on and like really focusing your energy into, that your progression is not going to be as great as I don't know. What would you say? Yeah, the, the number one thing that I see a lot of AGEs is uh, stamina. And I touched a little bit on that before, but stamina is a big thing in card games because you need to know how to pace yourself. Um, we see a lot of people um, start the tournament and, you know, I talk to them and they're like, I'm ready, I'm doing this, you know, and mm -hmm. they're kind of, they come in hot, you know, I can see it. I can see the, not the anxiousness, but the ready to, to go and the emotional is like, they're bringing it all to the table in the first round. And then at the end of the day, they're like zombies, you know, <laughs> like, <laughs> It's they, they may have done really well or, you know, they've had, you know, a rough day, but it was just like pacing yourself and kind of building that muscle as a card player is super, super valuable. Um, what I learned from testing with a lot of different pro players and seeing it just kind of from the sidelines and participating in myself, it's, you know, it's not something you can learn. It's something you have to practice. You get this practice by playing at events like this where mm -hmm. you're playing for table stakes and it's a long day if it goes well. ProQuest and RTMs are obviously really good practice for this, mm -hmm. right? Like you can you can hit a lot of them if you're in SoCal. Maybe some places, you know, they have only a couple, but, you know, we're really fortunate here to have this. And I think with AGE, it's like we we see a lot of players who don't want to go to ProQuest, right? Like they, mm -hmm. they don't show up to ProQuest because it's too much for them or they're not going to go to the Pro Tour. So AGE is the only outlet for them. I think that's you know, the biggest piece of advice and just something to focus on as you go through a tournament where you try to remain even throughout the entire day and kind of pace yourself. Like, not that you're not playing your best flesh and blood throughout the day, you're playing clean and measured flesh and blood. Mm. But I want to roll scabbies. <laughs> you know, I can't, you know, no judgment there. That's, <laughs> that's respect, you know, from my side. I don't know if I could live like that, you know. <laughs> But yeah, and it's even like stuff with that. I'm just dealing with that because you know you're signing up for it, right? Like you're mm -hmm. signing up for scab skins and dice or dice at the end of the yeah. day. Yeah, I lost my first round of the AGE to three ones in a row. <laughs> That's just a skill difference, though. So <laughs> you're right. I should have I should have let my opponent roll. <laughs> yeah that's that's your fault on that one you know yeah better players roll better i should have realized i was out class and been like you want i'm glad you said it because i don't have to <laughs> you're so right though justin about stamina and how long a tournament can go when you want to play competitively i think a lot of people don't really understand that because they haven't experienced it if they haven't really played competitive events like that was definitely something mm -hmm. new for me is sitting down and being like oh you mean you guys don't have lunch breaks halfway in between your six-round tournament? W why not? <laughs> <laughs> and it's like, because we have stuff to do, and like that's just how these <laughs> events sort of go. Like, mm -hmm. No matter, an RTN, ProQuest, Calling, side event, <laughs> like 
you're gonna have to sit yeah. down and play a lot of flesh and blood back to back so you got to prepare for it and yeah. getting your groove down and getting used to that is certainly a skill that can be fostered and nurtured and you can set yourself up for success by bringing a, a packed lunch yeah and i think that's why a lot of magic players see success in flesh and blood not mm. because like they're naturally good and they're transferring information like skill sets over it's just they are card game players and especially if they were competitive they've played those long days mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. grand prix for magic were nine hours straight nine rounds usually uh, yep and on day one and it's like you know playing in a lot of those and like some people did it every weekend you know and travel to a bunch of events and that's you know i think what transfers over the most so you can see a lot of like interesting flesh and blood Interestingly enough, Flesh and Blood, I've seen a lot of people where this is their first card game. Which still blows my mind. <laughs> yeah, it's like, hell of a want to get into this. It's so <laughs> nuanced and intricate, and, you know, it's tough. You know, it's it's very punishing sometimes where, mm-hmm. you know, a new player will not win a game with their first couple armies. You know, but I think it's cool that the way they've structured it, but that's what I think carries over from you know, a lot of players in different card games, it's not that they played other card games, they played a lot of it. Mm-hmm. And they built up that muscle of stamina and like pacing themselves and kind of understanding how these tournaments go. Not in a sense of like winning and losing, but just what am I going to look like when the games matter in top eight? One of the professional magic players that I talked to when I made my day two is he said to me after I lost, and it was really nice, like he was super cool about it, was the hardest game of any card game that you will play is after your first achievement and something Mm. because when you day two you're just happy to be in day two Mm. and then you kind of just don't play your best games like you're not locked in where you know the best players in the game are like i've already made like 17 day twos like i'm here to win the first top eight you make the first game you play in top eight is so hard for people because they're like i'm just happy to be here and it's a free ride you know and it's Mm. like they're just they have that mentality and there's a lot of stuff that kind of comes out with that where it's like you get that adrenaline dump at the end of the day when you make top eight or you make day two and the stamina comes into that of like the job's not done you know and that's those different mentalities that a lot of people have carried over from different card games very cool insight i'm gonna keep that one in my back pocket yeah you're not good at flesh and blood you're just good at sitting down for nine hours (laughs) (laughs) that's why i took chris ioli all the time (laughs) it's good to know that i have another excuse i can use (laughs) and i've always said i'm a giver you know (laughs) so i think that about wraps up our blue pitch everyone we're gonna move on to our arsenal zone if you're new to our show our arsenal zone is the part of the pod where we shout out a card that we've been thinking about lately for whatever reason be it good bad or ugly um Clark, do you want to start us off? Yeah. I want to talk about Prime to Fight. So Prime to Fight is a new Majestic from Heavy Hitters. It is a 5 cost, 9 attack, 3 block Guardian attack. Uh, fairly fairly classic, right? This follows the same stat block line as Spinal Crush. But this is a little bit different than Spinal Crush. If you control a Vigor token... It costs one less. At any point during your turn. Any point during your turn. And if you control a might token, it gains one power. So if on the turn before, you're able to say, I don't know, win a trounce. (laughs) where Where you double clash, make a gold, vigor, and might token. 
have all that pop at the start of your turn. This could be a 3 for 11, which is pretty crazy. I think that is like the best statted attack ever in Flesh and Blood. It's uh, okay. There's 0 for 9 in Bolton, but you know. <laughs> all right, all right. <laughs> but I think it's so cool because it really shows where I think they're going with Guardian, where Guardian is expected to have these really, really efficient two-card, three-card hands. This is that, right? 3, 4, and 11 is an exceptionally valuable two-card hand, but you can only get it if you have done setup and if you are winning these other conditional effects. Then you get the really, really nice, big, powerful attack. And that feels a lot better than the old, old him method, where if you just kept an ice blue in hand, you can throw this insane breakpoint disruptive tool. And this is a little bit better than that. Right? It requires two cards. It requires a more conditional setup. But at the end of the day, it's still playing to what Guardian is all about. And I really like that. It's a very flashy card. Justin, you mentioned wanting to play some math uh, <laughs> in the future. That's certainly some math you could try out. <laughs> yeah, you have my attention. <laughs> um, yeah, I think it's, you know, going back to what we said, of just like they make you work for a lot of the rewards. Mm-hmm. You know, rather than. Like you said holding cards, I think it's interesting that both players have say in how this card does. Yeah. Which, you oh, know, that's they may not know it. They may not know they're fighting for, you know, I'm trying to keep them off this token, but it's like, you know, when you think back to it, it's like, oh, if I block there, maybe it's like I could have seen that coming or figured out it's coming. Mm-hmm. And, you know, you kind of give that player, it's like, well, how is I supposed to stop him from drawing an ice and earth card, you know, to <laughs> mm-hmm. with Oakenhold? For sure. Awesome card, Clark. I'll go next. I have a tradition here on the show of every card that I shout out, I like to sign a copy and give to my other hosts and or guests if they're on. The card that I'd like to shout out today is called Leave No Witnesses. Oh Oh my god! You're giving us a Leave No Witnesses? I'm giving you a signed copy of a Leave No Witnesses. Let's go! (laughs) Signed by me personally. (laughs) (laughs) Justin, these are really, really valuable. There's only going to be three of these. For now. I know who needs serialized cards. <laughs> it's yours to do with what you want, Justin. If you want to sell my signed copy, <laughs> it's up to you. So Leave No Witnesses is a zero for four assassin attack action that I'm sure many of you are familiar with. It blocks for three. And it has this ability called contract. If you banish opponent's red cards, then you create silver tokens, as long as this is chilling out on the combat chain. And when it hits a hero, you banish the top card of their deck and up to one card in their arsenal. That's right, it's a little mini Command and Conquer. It doesn't have the defense reaction clause of Command and Conquer, but it also doesn't cost resources. And, as many of you are aware, it's part of one of the strongest two-card combos in the game. No, 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 Fuzzy. (laughs) One-card combos. (laughs) Right, because you don't even need Leave No Witnesses in your hand. You can just have Codex of Frailty, nothing else. And you get to stick this from your graveyard right into your arsenal. Your opponent rolls their eyes. <laughs> <laughs> they have to take an attack action card. No, not a D-react, which would like be nice. Because then they could D-react the lead. No, 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 no. They have to take an attack action card, put that in their arsenal, and then get rid of one of their blocking cards. Mm-hmm. Codex of Frailty and Leave No Witnesses. Name a more iconic duo. Uh, Spark of Genius Teclacor. <laughs> <laughs> so, this card's been a terror. When I find myself going through trades, and I don't know what deck I'm playing in the meta, and I'm just kind of, like, 
doing trades because other people want the cards that I have, and I see this in their binder, I tend to grab a copy of this. I don't know why, but that's why I happen to have three copies to give out now. <laughs> I don't even play Assassin. I just love owning lots of copies of this card. So leave no witnesses. I think you're pretty cool. I'm sorry you have the bad reputation that comes from being the best target for Codex of Frailty. I think that kind of does you dirty, but here I go, signing each one. Fuzzy. 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 So Justin, since we're recording over Zoom, I will give you a copy. Are you going to the pre-release at Odyssey? I am. Then I'll Hell see you yeah. there. Yeah, I can't, I'm not going to miss that. Of course not. It's so it's busy. Forty-eight people. Yeah, it's gonna be great. It's because I'm going, but you know, it's, not everyone can have to go. <laughs> True. So. Slay. Thank you, Fuzzy. So my card that I was thinking about is a uh, Driving Blade, which is mm -hmm. a card from Welcome to Wraith. It's a two-cost non-attack for Warrior, and it says your next weapon attack this turn gets plus three and go again. I was thinking about this card because I used to play it in my Kasai Ballistic. I would only play one because the cost is uh, a lot. And it's just a slightly more powerful version of Warrior's Valor, I guess. But not as used, just because it costs two. I was just thinking about this is like the first example of Power Creep in Warrior. Because I have access to Blade Runner, Run Through, even Warrior's Valor, and like a slew of other cards now because I can create more agility tokens. So... I was just looking at this card and thinking, man, it would be such a throw to try and play this card now. So, yeah, I was thinking about Driving Blade. It's lost to time. Yep. <laughs> awesome. Thanks, Joel. Justin, do you have a card to shout out today? Yeah, so mine is on brand and on theme of Tome of the Imperial Flame. Ooh. It's zero cost red. Draw a card if you're royal. Instead, draw, or if you're royal, draw two instead. And you can pitch two red cards and go again. And I chose this card because I think it's interesting in a way because I think James White mentioned on a recent interview too of expansion slot cards being used more intentionally going forward and I think this is kind of the first iteration of that where they very clearly wanted to impart a new play style onto a hero like this one card has shaped an entire hero um, for the good and bad you know some players don't enjoy that play style some do I lean more in the middle of you know i talking about the emperor right <laughs> uh yeah <laughs> but i try not to play cards like this because i like to have like a more mid-rangey style with drone my so like mm. my version of drone my is hybrid where i run big dragon then i board into tomes mm. and for certain matchups and i think it's an interesting card because it makes you make tougher decisions now mm-hmm and like, it forces you into a new playstyle, whether you wanted to or not. And I think it shows, not really. I'm not super interested in the card itself. I'm interested in what it means for Flesh and Blood going forward. Or I guess why I brought it up is, mm. I think they're going to be more methodical in solving problems rather than just throwing cards into the wild. And I think that's an interesting direction for Flesh and Blood. I'm glad you brought this up, Justin, because I know a lot of Dromai players were not only turned off of Dromai or were just sick of playing it just because of how polarizing this card was and how much it changed the list and how it flattened the the learning curve of the deck. Uh, did you have any response to these criticisms? <laughs> the way you phrased that, it makes it seem like I was 
the guy who came up with it and it's like do you have anything to say to the paparazzi <laughs> um, and, no I, I agree and it's you know I think some people clicked with it you know like Mara's obviously the champion of it her Empress mm. drove my list I think a lot of players just stopped playing Jomai because they didn't want to play this card it's very very strong but it changes the way that my plays mm. you know like you block less you're more aggressive you play all these you know aggressive cards to take advantage of it you're playing less blues and you know there's all these different kind of ways to go about it and i think it's overall really healthy for the game if a hero sticks around longer there could be more expansion slot cards that they fill into it to change mm. the gameplay again mm. you know like if it just didn't work or some people don't like it or you know it's not quite you know the player reception is not quite there for it they can come in again with it a new card and i think that's way more interesting and encouraging for for players who maybe have their heroes not in a great spot or maybe they don't like it or they can put it down and pick it up again later and it's very i think forward thinking from from them with the sunsetting of the supplemental sets hmm i actually like that line of thinking more so than just this card ruined the game because that's usually where my go my mind goes to <laughs> i mean it did for sure like i mean we're just kind of closing up shop here so you know, <laughs> ag is just I, I just can't deal with it but yeah, but yeah, card games live on a way longer time scale than most people think or are used to, especially mm -hmm. with Flesh and Blood in a non-rotating game. Like mm -hmm. Luminaris, New, Numenaris is a great example of that. Love you Numenaris. Know? And, you know, we'll see a bunch of stuff like that for the card game. And I'm really positive towards the outlook of like what these sets look like going forward. And I've been really impressed with like heavy hitters and what I've seen mm. from it so far. Yeah, I'm really excited for the set. Me too. As am I. Finally, new warrior. I'm right there with you. Look at us, two warriors here, you know? <laughs> Before we sign off, Justin, do you want to mm -hmm. tell us one more time where we can reach you or learn more about the AGE? Yeah, you can find us at our website, ag.events, and then you can look us up on YouTube at Arcane Games and Events, where we live stream all of our tournaments and we upload all the bots to the individual cut matches and segments. So I think it's a great place to go to do some homework. Like, I do it all the time looking at the different matches and heroes and, you know, learning from some of the best in the game. Awesome. Good stuff. Thanks, everyone, for listening. We'll catch you next time. All right. So Bye. long, everybody. Pitch It To Me podcast is hosted by me, Joel Racinos, Clark Moore, and Fuzzy Delp. Our executive producer is Talon Stradley. Our dope music is produced by Dylan Hulse. Our sweet logo is designed by Han V. And the precise sound mixing is done by Christopher Moore. And last but not least, thank you, the sexy ass viewer, for listening to our podcast. Please give us a follow on your favorite social media platform at Pitch Podcast and stay tuned for some outtakes. I remember I, I helped three floating with their shoots a bunch and I was like there was a moment when I'm like I cannot do this because there's because they shoot the same way where it's like all right let's have some downtime let's think about this and and I remember Jacob was playing and he's so bummed about the game because he's getting his ass kicked right and he's sitting there looking at his cards oh,
Facebook.com. All right, so this is gonna be really fun, and like, I think I'm gonna do this. I'm like, that's crazy, man. I can't, I can't even pretend to do that. <laughs> yeah, it turns it on like a switch, and I'm like, God, that's, that's a skill. That's why you get paid the big bucks, I guess. You know. <laughs> I do want to know that anytime you do a literal transcript of what people say, people don't fucking talk like people. Like, everyone sounds fucking weird all of the goddamn time. So can you give me like a, <clears throat> oh yeah, like. <laughs> <laughs> Could you give me like a positive affirmation? Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Oh, hell yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That's perfect. That's exactly what we wanted. Yes. Oh my god. Spin cooking. <laughs> <laughs>